Hey everyone, welcome along to this special re-released episode of High Performance. You can probably hear it's slightly noisy where I am. Florence, say hello. Hi. Tell everyone where are we? We're in Paris. And what are we doing? Uh, we're queuing up to go into a museum. <laughs> Which she is delighted about, obviously. Um, but anyway, yeah, I am still in Paris. But listen, the team were chatting on WhatsApp and we decided that with a huge game coming up for Scotland, now would be a good time to re-release our conversation with the Scotland manager, Steve Clark. So we've given it a bit of an edit um, and I think you'll really enjoy this. This is Steve giving a really interesting look at the way he's shaping his Scotland squad. Flo, move out the way. Sorry, Florence is just getting in the way of some tourists. Um, how he's shaping his Scotland squad and how he's approaching a really huge game in the history of Scotland football. Anyway, um, I better get back to sightseeing in Paris. Um, but thanks very much for your company during the football season for me and all the team on BT Sport. And enjoy this re-released episode of the High Performance Podcast with the Scotland manager, Steve Clark. Hey, Flo, say bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. <laughs> well done, darling. How often do we talk about high performance at home? A lot. Too much? Yes. <laughs> there you go. Right. Enjoy the episode, guys. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Edinburgh, our special guest this evening is Steve Clark. <laughs> Well, this is different. <laughs> do, you, do you enjoy this kind of thing? No. <laughs> I'm absolutely terrified. So let's crack on. <laughs> well, uh, you know how we start this podcast. In your mind, what is high performance? I told you when you first tried to get me to come on and do this, and it wasn't for this live show, it was for one of the recorded ones that I didn't have a clue. So I gave a little bit of thought. The best I could come up with was a pathway to success, where probably the pathway is not really defined. So you have to find your own way down the path. And success is never defined either, because success is not always lifting up a big silver trophy. 
success is, is measured in different, different types. On football, for example, success when I went to West Brom was to keep them in the English Premier League. You've, you've got to look for all the, the high performance along the way to try and get to that level of success that you want to have. So can we talk about the pathway where it started from, Steve? Because I know you grew up on, on the Ayrshire coast. And what your story fascinates is that you didn't get into football until relatively late. Would you tell us a bit about your journey before you got into football? No, no. I was, listen, I was always into football. In Scotland, it was, when I was growing up, it was, it was football or nothing. That's, that's what you did. came from a big family. Uh, my brother was a footballer, professionally. Uh, my young brother wasn't quite good enough to be professional, but had a decent footballing career. My father was a good amateur player, got a really bad injury when he was young, so he never made it to the, the top. He always wanted his boys to play football, but more than that, he wanted us to be successful, ambitious. And at that time, football didn't make any money, no money. So when I left school, at, I was told to leave school at 16. Wasn't going to university, none of that. You're going to get a trade, son. 16, leaving school, going in a factory environment. You soon grow up quite quick. You know, you're working with wise old men who are always looking to take the, the piss out the, the young apprentice. So you, you grow up quick. It was a good, was a good learning experience. Obviously, the football career picked up a little bit. I got farmed out to play in the, the Ayrshire Junior League, which also toughens you up. Uh, young boys, 16, 17, playing against seasoned Hardened criminals, I would call them. <laughs> but I learned how to look after myself. Uh, and obviously, 18, I was offered a part-time contract with St. Man. So what lessons did you learn, say, going into a factory at 16 or playing in that Ayrshire League that you were still applying when you did end up going to Chelsea and, and going on to play at, at, at sort of an elite level? You just pick up the, the experience of all these people that you work with. They, they, the factory is a different environment to a, to a football dressing room. It's, it's totally different, but you get similar characters. They're there. They're always testing you. You're always being tested as a young person in there. Can you do this? Do you do that? They're always looking for you to make a mistake, to see how you react to the mistake. You get the ones who try and bully you, and then you have to stand up to them. You have to recognize that, you, that they're trying to bully you. Uh, you get the ones that will help you. And look, go out their way to help you. I met a lot of good, really good people in the factory. You just learn from these people and you, and you try to take those values in. I, I think all of them wanted you to be honest and straightforward. Don't get above your station. And if you did get above your station, they knocked your head off. So it was a, it was a good way to, to grow up in a, a good learning environment for me. And how does that compare to the environment that you want to now create as a coach or you do create as a coach? Can you see the parallels between the two? Particularly when it comes, I like honesty, to be honesty. in the in, yeah. the in the dressing room. I like honesty in the, the people that I work with, right through from from the staff, right through into the the, the players. How do you foster that? I, th I think by example, you, you try and be as honest as you can be yourself. Sometimes uh, football management, it's not so easy to be completely honest, but you have to be as honest as you can be. Can you explain that for us? Why it's not easy? I think club management is is different from the the job I'm doing now national team management because you just borrow the players so you borrow the players for for the national team they're not really your players and it's a little bit easier you bring them in you ask them to 
they're there to represent their country. They all want to be there. I, th I think that's one of the things that we've, we've managed to, to bring back into the, the national team. It's a little bit of pride to be picked for the national team and, and go and play for them now. When you're in a club environment, you have more time with them. You, you can work with them daily. You're there all the time. So you can drip feed those values in all the time. You can, you can, you can smell something in the dressing room. I think respect in football goes a long way. If, if your players within the squad respect each other, I think you've got a chance. You have such a limited time, though, with these players compared to their club managers. So what do you do to put into place the process to let them know as soon as they arrive with the Scotland team what the culture is like, what the expectation levels are, what your standards are? Because you don't have weeks and weeks and weeks to build these players up. You don't, but over a, over a number of camps, you start to... You start to drip feed it in. It, 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 listen, it wasn't an easy start. I'm looking at this group of players who'd been there before and they had a long period of failure, failure, failure. We didn't qualify for this, didn't do that. And you're thinking, I need to find a way to change the culture, the environment. How do I do it? And I told the players that that was unacceptable. It was, it's probably the only time where I've lost my temper with the, with, with the players. Because they're not your players and you don't want to upset them and you don't, want to, you don't want to have a go at them because it's difficult to repair that because you don't have the time that you have at a club. But I was angry. But between the November and the March, I'd already started thinking, what are we going to do? What are we good at? Defensively, not great. We need to change. I phoned my coaches. So we can't go back four. I want to go with a back three. I never coached a back three in my life. Change for me, challenge for me, challenge for my coaches. The personnel we had, we had probably two of the best left-backs in world football, Tierney and Robertson. Got to get them both in the same team. At that moment, I didn't think the, the centre-back options were great. So let's pick three. <laughs> Three's better we'll than We'll see two. if that makes it better. Yeah. But my idea on the centre-backs was obviously to play Tierney as one of them. And I had this mad idea that Scott McTominay could play the other one. We were strong in midfield. I had good midfield players and I wanted to get at least three midfield players, possibly four into the team, which is how I started. I did fit four in. Nothing up front, really. Nothing great up front. We had one or two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to knock the boys down. The boys that were turning up were doing everything they could to be, to be successful for us, but I needed to find a striker. Fortunately, I found an Australian one. <laughs> <laughs> So I knew that, I knew that Lyndon was, was available to come. Uh, so I managed to have a conversation with Lyndon that persuaded him to come. I had a really good conversation with Kieran Tierney to tell him that he was going to be the best left centre-back Scotland had ever had. Can you, can you give us a bit of insight into how that conversation went? Because this is always interesting. For people here that don't work in football, it's about what can they learn for bringing people on the journey with them? How did you get Kieran on the journey? Kieran had always... A sort of myth had built up around Kieran that he didn't want to come and play with the national team, which wasn't correct. But I think he always felt that he was a better left-back than Andy Robertson. And if you look at the two of them, there's, there's not a cigarette paper between them. They're, they're both fantastic players. So my job on, on, on that one was to persuade Kieran that he was better than Andy. And that's why I trusted Kieran to play left centre-back and not Andy. Now, that's not, it's probably not strictly true. But I had to sell it to Kieran. This is, this is where I see you playing. And I'm not telling you you're a defensive centre-back. Now, we've got the best overlapping left centre-back in 
world football probably because Kieran just goes and I'm standing on the side pitch going, Kieran, where are you going? <laughs> but it works. It works. It works well. So, so was to sell that position to Kieran was important. And it was, a, it was a really good conversation. He asked a lot of really good questions. But I told him I loved him and I wanted him to play there. And the conversation with Lyndon Dykes was quite straightforward. I said to Lyndon, listen, I don't know if you feel Scottish or Australian. I said, only you can decide. I said, I'm telling you, this is what we have in the national team. This is what's in front of you. This, this is your competition. But you have to decide if you want to play for Scotland or you want to play for Australia because I can't, I can't see inside your, in your mind. I can't see inside your body how you feel. And he phoned me back and he said, no, I'm Scottish, my, uh, my wife's Scottish, my daughter's Scottish, and I want to play for the national team. And I think everyone will agree, he's, he's done quite well for us. Yes, brilliant. But, but, but it's two different conversations. Yeah. So it's, it's a conversation where you're trying to sell a position to someone, and the other conversation is, you know you want to say to Dykes, Dykes, you know you're Scottish, come on. <laughs> but you have to let them make the decision. Steve, I'm really interested to know what the likes of uh, a Robertson or a McGinn brings to that Scotland dressing room. Not just as great footballers, but what do they bring as people? Personality, especially McGinn. I, th I think the boys who play in the English Premier League, they bring an assuredness to the squad, a confidence. Andy Robertson's won the Champions League. He's been club world champion. He brings an assuredness to the to the squad, Kieran Tierney's down there playing now. Scott McTominay's not shy of confidence. Plays at Man United. You see, see his performances every week. He's on that pitch. He, he puffs out his chest. And they bring an assuredness to the squad that everyone else buys into. You've got the captain of Celtic. You've got a future captain at Arsenal. Captain Andy playing at Liverpool. You've got McTominay could be a captain at Man United. You've got McGinn could be a captain anywhere. So you, you've got leaders. You've got people like Grant Hanley, captain of Norwich, as you well know. <laughs> so we've got so many good people in the squad. And I, I think that has also been a process of trying to get good people in, trying to sell the idea that we can be successful. We can be successful. You've got to get that over well, to them. Yes, <laughs> come on, you've got to believe. But this is like, see, I think that reaction, though, even that reaction is really interesting because I think if you're in London and Gareth Southgate says, yeah, we can be successful straight away. Everyone's like, yes, we can be successful. Here, there's still a hesitancy. There's still a, okay, maybe. Like, it seems that it's still a process unpicking all of those previous years, as you describe, trying to qualify, not qualifying, sacking the manager, then doing it again and repeating. And there was always great players. Scotland's always had great players. I'd love to know, psychologically, A, how deep-rooted was that mindset of, well, we don't qualify, we just play qualifying matches, and how, whether you underestimated, actually, how deep that went and how hard you had to work to recover from it. I definitely underestimated it, and it was something we had to shake. But we shook it in the, the, probably the most Scottish way that you could, because in the playoff final against Serbia, I thought we were magnificent for 90 minutes and then an injury time so you're 1-0 up and you're thinking one more corner just, come on lads just defend it <laughs> nah nah we'll concede the goal so we'll go 1-1 and you're thinking oh my god here we go again 
Scotland, glorious failures, because the performance from, from the first minute to the 90th minute before we conceded, I thought was as good as anything that, that I'd seen in a, a long time for a Scottish team going away to a, a difficult opponent in Serbia. And you're on the sideline, you're thinking, oh no, surely not again, surely. Because I don't think we could have recovered for the hurt of that if we hadn't, if we hadn't qualified. I certainly couldn't have recovered for the hurt of that because I knew how close we were and how well we'd played. And I remember saying to them, the last thing I said to them before that, there was about 28 people in the room. I said, this is your chance to go and do it. I said, but don't burden yourself with what's happened before because we cannot affect what's happened before. And the last thing I said to them was, don't play with the fear of failure. Try to play with the anticipation of success. And I think we did that up until that... <laughs> up until that goal. And then after that, we just hung on and we clung on. But obviously, you can see the goal in the last minute. 1-1, one, one, you come together, the group. And I was worried for them. And then you start to hear the voices, your Robertsons. Your McGinn was off the pitch at the time, but in the group around, Kenny McLean, Ryan Jack, Carl McGregor. And there was a determination. We're still in the competition. We've still got a chance to go through. Let's make sure next 30 minutes we give everything on the pitch and we get there. Okay, we had to go to penalties. It was a bit nerve-wracking, but that desire was still there. So as a coach, I'm thinking... We're all right. I didn't need to say too much. How did you learn to step out of your own way there? Because I can imagine at that moment, there's a danger of your ego kicking in of, I need to come in and deliver a great speech and get them fired up. And yet you've described that you actually stepped out of the way. I didn't need to, I didn't need to be there. You, you know your group, you know your players, you know what they're thinking, you know the journey they've been on and you know how determined they were to be successful. And... It didn't need a big speech. It was, keep it simple, keep the bases, don't make mistakes, stay in the game. And we did that. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
So when we were when we were talking in the first half an hour and we mentioned world class basics, did that ring a bell with you? I think if you get the basics right, you've got the foundation to do anything you want. I'd never thought about world class basics, but I think football is a really simple game, and if you do get the basics right, and you've got good talent, then you have a chance to be successful. But if you don't get the basics right, everything falls apart. So in terms of world-class basics, yeah, I suppose it comes down to the sort of perfect practice makes perfect. Not practice makes perfect. That was what I was always told was perfect practice makes perfect. You've coached alongside some, some quite stellar names, whether it's Ruud Hullet or you worked with Mourinho uh, in his first spell at Bobby Chelsea. Robson, Sir Bobby Robson. Sir Bobby Robson. Kenny. So tell us then, Kenny. what was yeah. the consistent... What was the consistent traits that you saw in those guys that, that we could learn from? The top three? Top three, Mourinho organisation, uh, attention to detail, Kenny man management, Bobby Robson man management for sure was, was probably one of the best in terms of man management. Bobby not, not someone you'd look at his coaching sessions and go, wow, I want to copy that. But when he spoke to a player and you were in the room and you listened to him, you got emotional or you got excited for the player that he was talking to. Can you remember a time when you sat there and heard a conversation and thought, this is, this is amazing, this is something that I need to learn from? Yeah, early with Bobby was, obviously, Rude had been at Newcastle just over a year. Uh, it didn't work out. He persuaded me to leave my, my London home, move up to the northeast, uprooted my family, took them all up, and then one year later, he... He's scribbling a, a note after a game. So what are you doing, lovely boy? Which is what everybody called lovely boy. I'm just writing a writing a note. It was his resignation, but he didn't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Woke up the next morning, he left. Uh, thanks, Rude. And a lot of his issues up there had stemmed for the fact that him and Alan Shearer, two big egos, didn't quite get on. Best of mates now, by the way. They, they both work in the media and they love each other. But at that time, nothing was every day, every day was difficult. So we didn't get the best out of Alan. Rude couldn't get the best out of him. And Bobby came in. And I remember Bobby said, I'm going to have a chat with Alan tonight, son. Before we played, we were actually back at Chelsea. So we were at Chelsea Harbour Hotel. And he brought Alan into the room. And honestly, God, he made the guy feel 10 feet tall. I felt 10 feet tall for Alan. Was, <laughs> It's unbelievable. You're going to be the main man. You are the main man. Hasn't worked out for you. You're a goal scorer, son. You're going to be the lead the line. You're number nine at Newcastle. He went through all Jackie Milburn, all the, all the great number nines that played at Newcastle. You are the man. Out the next day, lost 1-0 at Chelsea. <laughs> Never scored. Hardly got a kick. Chelsea were, Chelsea were better than us. Next week, home to Sheffield Wednesday, 8-0. Shearer, four goals. And from there, Shearer was back. And I was just on the, on the back of one really good conversation from somebody who knew how to massage an ego and make someone feel good about themselves again and make someone feel really important. And that was a big lesson. So here's a question then. Do you feel you get the credit you deserve for the management career that you've had? I don't look for credit. It, it, it doesn't bother me. And people look at it now. Listen, everybody likes to be loved. Everybody likes to be appreciated. But if the credit doesn't come, it doesn't come. I can live with that. As long as I know, I can go to my bed every night and say, I'm doing the right job. 
I'm trying to do the right things. I'm trying to be good at what I do. And I've got the love and support of my family. That's enough for me. Lovely. I look at, you know, a really good example, I think, of where many of us would choose not to be football managers is that amazing eighth place in the Premier League for West Brom and fired four months later. Do you not allow ever a sense of injustice to build up or do you have to learn to accept that that is the life of a manager? That was my first second. And they say you're not really a manager till you get sacked. So I was a manager after that. But I'd also prepared... When I was coming towards the end of my, my playing career, and I played in a time where you didn't finish as a millionaire. You didn't finish with loads of money. You just had a good living wage. If you saved a little bit, you could have a nice little pension. You were going to have to go and get another job. I was fortunate that I managed to stay in football. And then from there, did I feel... I felt a little bit aggrieved that I'd lost my job at West Brom. Did I deserve to lose my job? Probably not. We went to Cardiff... Uh, lost one nil, and you're driving back in the bus to the training ground, uh, no phone call for the director of football, no phone call for the chairman, no, fo- no phone call from anybody. You're driving back and you think, they're obviously not very happy with me. You drive into the training ground and you see the, the light on in the chairman's office and you just go, bye-bye, <laughs> see you lads. <laughs> so can we ask from a different angle then about, because you obviously interview well to get jobs, so... We've spoken about when you've lost the job. Will you tell us about the process of how you convince the chairman or the owner of a club or director of football to buy into your vision and to entrust you with the keys to that dressing room? The, the process is quite simple. You, you just sit down and you, you be yourself. I don't do presentations. I just sit down. I tell them what my ideas are, what I think I can bring to the football club, and then I let them choose. And I haven't had that many managerial jobs. I mean, it was, was West Brom. I was Reading for a year. I lost the job at Reading because I made a mistake of speaking to Fulham and then staying at Reading. I don't know why I did that. But things happened for a reason. And then I had the job at Kilmarnock, which went very well. And then I've, I've had the national team job. So I haven't had, I haven't had too many... But in an age where you hear about managers sort of coming up with really slick PowerPoint presentations and being able to speak the lingo of uh, the sort of, of the values of a club and things like that, for you to be almost anachronistic by just coming in and being yourself, do you feel that that puts you at a disadvantage? No. I think if you can sell yourself, you've got a better chance than some flashy presentation that somebody else has prepared and you're presenting. If you want me to do the job, I can do the job. If you don't want me to do the job, thanks very much. I'll try somewhere else. And now it brings us up to the current day, and you've got the small matter of a couple of playoff games coming up. Yeah, I can't wait. It's been a long break. Tell us, um, the crowd are confident. Tell us how you're feeling then ahead of, ahead of these two. That's good. Obviously, we finished the, the group stage very well, six Six consecutive wins is, is tough to do. Two great nights at Hamden with a close call against Israel. We managed to nick a goal in the last minute and obviously the, the, the game against Denmark was, was a fantastic performance and a good night and great for everyone. And, and you just feel there's a little positivity around with the, 
the following, the, the, the supporters of Tartan Army are getting excited, which is great because I know the players are excited for it. The players are looking forward to it. It's, it's going to be a tough game. Ukraine is, is a good team, really well organised. If I said that you look at the, the four teams, ourselves, Ukraine, Wales, Austria, for me is, is a 25% chance for everybody. We'll go there, we'll give our best and hopefully our best will be good enough. Would you just give us a, an insight into what your message will be for those players ahead of that, that period? Because it's about being up for it, but not being so up for it that emotion takes over and it negatively impacts the performance. Please, whatever you do, lads, when you go out in front of this full house at Hamden, the Tartan Army, they're there, they're there to support you. Go and play. Don't freeze. And I think if we do that, we can get through the first game. And then you have to go away, Wales or Russia. Bring it on. It's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you very much for giving up your evening in front of the crowd. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, your manager, Steve Carr. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.